Blog Talk Radio. There was a time I was so afraid, so scared to do what I wanted. In looking back, I can see all the mistakes that I made, and I wish that I could talk to me and tell me I can change. Don't be afraid, just walk with your Talk Radio, Safe Recovery. This is Monica Richardson, and I am your host. Today is January 20th, 2015. Today on the show, I have Holly Whitaker, writer, speaker, blogger. Hip Sobriety is the name of her blog. Holly is a writer and a speaker, a blog owner, and uh, a former healthcare executive who found her path to sobriety. Uh, both outside of AA and the 12 Steps and the healthcare system. Her mission is to create, inspire, empowering, holistic, modern, and above-ground paths to recovery from addiction and to remove the stigma, misinformation, and fear that surrounds the predominant methods to recovery that exist today. And so I am going to bring Holly on right now. See where you are, here you are. There we go. Hi, Holly. Hi, Monica. How are you? I'm good. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. I was just looking at your page. If you go to www.hipsobriety.com, you will find her page. And um, I love the picture. Uh, is that you? <laughs> uh, the one where I'm jumping into the water? Yeah, it's at most, I think, all pictures uh, on it are of me, I guess. Wow, very cool. It says, hi, my name is Holly, and I'm not an alcoholic. And I was just reading it um, because I think it's, uh, well, anyway, let's talk about why you uh, started your blog. Sure. Um, So I came um, in 2012. I uh, was deeply sick. I was addicted to alcohol, alcohol. a huge pothead. I smoked a ton of cigarettes. I worked hundred hour weeks. I was bulimic. Um, you know, I kind of had, uh, I had many, many addictions. And, um, in 2012, it just became, you know, I, I hit, you know, what people call their rock bottom, which is to me just, you know, actually accepting that I had a problem that I needed to deal with. Um, so I had, uh, come to work in the healthcare industry in 2009 and I was working at a very progressive startup that um uh, a very progressive primary care startup 
and my job that I had, you know, kind of um, given my life over to at this point um, was to reinvent the healthcare system and to from the from the bottom up. And really, mm. we were focused on, um, you know, my my job at the time. I was um, head of our, our our revenue operations, and my job was to, you know, really understand Obamacare and healthcare reform and. Um, my mission was to create um, better patient experiences, more ac- you know, and better access to healthcare. Mm-hmm. And most of my friends were doctors, and uh, I had you know dated doctors, and I worked with some of the best doctors in our country. And I found myself uh, in the patient seat with a ton of addictions and extremely malnourished, um, extremely sick. Um, and unable to use my healthcare insurance card to get better. Mm-hmm. And so it was 2012 um and my options were AA and at that point it just didn't feel I didn't feel I didn't want to do AA. I absolutely did not want to do AA and um the other options were to do rehab and I uh which weren't covered by my you know rehab isn't isn't covered by insurance for the most part and it, it wasn't covered by my plan. So Mm-hmm. Um, I, it was just kind of this moment of irony where I had spent, you know, I had, had almost gotten sick to, you know, um, my mission had been to, to fix healthcare and there I was, you know, with decent insurance and a ton of healthcare professionals on my side and, and really nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I ended up, um, I, I ended up reading a book called Alan Carr's Easy Way to, to Quit or to Control Alcohol. Mm-hmm. And, um, that worked immediately. It actually got me able to stop drinking um, pretty quickly. Um, within two weeks, I, I stopped drinking, and, and I did that for about two months, but because I hadn't addressed any of the reasons that were causing me to drink in the first place, uh, I started drinking again later on that year. And um, I ended up over the course of a few months um, doing a ton of just self-work outside of the healthcare industry and outside of AA, um, you know, using the easy way, Alan Carr's easy way, and I can go into that in a little bit, but um, also um, just doing yoga, meditation, CBT. um, I read a ton of books. I um, brought joy and meaning into my life. I did acupuncture. I did massage. I you know, I kind of like uh, went after all the things that were were causing me to drink in the first place. And um, within um, 90 days of of that, of that kind of extreme flip on how I was treating myself and taking care of myself and creating Mm -hmm. coping mechanisms, I ended up, um, I I quit drinking on April 13th, 2013. And it's been two years since I drank. and then further ended up um, quitting pot and alcohol, bulimia, and um, you know most most of the the addictive habits that um, I had in 2012 when I was at my sickest. And so hmm, um, that's pretty good. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, was, it, I mean, you, it's a huge, it was a huge transformation. Yeah, yeah. And so, how long did you drink problematically? Um, probably, I mean, I think everyone drinks to some degree problematic. I mean, there's, there's few people that have an extremely healthy whoa, relationship whoa, with alcohol. that's a really, that's a really <laughs> broad stroke there. Okay, uh, it okay. is, it is. Well, so that's I, not I, true. I, okay, I, I, I have to say no. People, everybody does not drink problematically. 
Well, I think, okay, well, let me, let me take it from this point. So I, my, it's my contention. Well, first of all, 40% of people that imbibe or 40% of people that drink do have some sort of um, excessive drink are excessive drinkers or labeled as excessive drinkers. But for me, I feel one of the things that kind of has driven my philosophy from the beginning is that we live in a culture that thinks that there's something wrong with it, that everyone should be able to drink. And there's, there's something wrong with a, a percentage of our population that can't. Um, and I believe that it's just not normal to drink. I don't believe it's normal to um, need to rely on any sort of mind-altering substance to get through our lives. And so for me, it's, um, you know, my relationship with alcohol, it was it was never healthy because I started drinking when I was in high school um, and, you know, did this in my peer group. Um, you know, I binge drank in college, um, and, you know, I, I continued on. I, my first job was in accounting in um, San Jose, and um, and then I ended up moving to San Francisco. And, you know, my experiences throughout my life and, and most of the people that I was surrounded with and most of the culture that I was surrounded with, I mean, it's just, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it was an excessive drinking culture. And even, so, even you know, I... Like it was, so you got out of college and you got jobs and the places you went to work there was just a lot of partying after work all the time. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. And there I was, was constantly okay. like a work hard, play hard. Yeah. Ah, hundred hours a week. That's a lot. That's like for me, most people work forty or fifty or sixty. So. Mm-hmm. In, in this healthcare, interesting. Yeah. And how old are you now? Now I'm thirty-six. I turned okay. thirty-six yesterday. Okay, so from from that point on, it was it was always problematic for you. You didn't have for so from teenage through college, binging drinking. You just continued on until two years ago. Yeah, and I well, let's say I mean there was a definite shift in my drinking behavior um, in 2010. Um, a relationship ended, and I I got um, a huge promotion at work and. Um, I, you know, I, I, I kind of threw myself into my job and, and I let go of a lot of the things that tend to balance people out and tend to, you know, mm-hmm. give people, um, um, you know, tend to, um, sustain people. And I, you know, very quickly from 2010 to 2012, my, my drinking behavior changed from social drinking, what would be like described as social drinking to, um, you know, to drinking uh, a couple of glasses of wine by myself after work as I was working um, or, you know, eventually which led to a couple of bottles a night um, in the end. And so, and drinking, you know, at, at um, odd times, drinking, you know, more, drinking in secret, you know, doing all sorts of um, um, drug-seeking behaviors. But um, but what I was saying to the point, I, I mean, I meant I I drank, you know, I never had a healthy relationship with alcohol because I I just you know I felt like you know from the moment I started drinking all of the in all of my um, in all of my social circles um, there was just never a really healthy relationship with alcohol demonstrated you know on 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 the level. Right, and how about your family that you grew up with around them? Was the, what did they drink healthy? Your parents were they normal normal yeah. drinkers? They were, uh-huh. Yeah, my yeah, mom you had doesn't that. drink very much. My dad doesn't either, or didn't. Yeah. Um, so where are the figures coming from where that you said like 40%? That's pretty high that you said earlier. Oh, um, one of them is from um, David Chef's book, um, Clean, um, which is, um, I can't cite the source that it came from in his book, but his book is well-cited. And then... Um, 
it also extrapolates to there's uh, there's uh, I believe it was the CDC that just recently um, I'll have to look it up um, the CDC that just recently yeah. ran a study of how many adults um, are excessive drinkers and which came to find that um, of those that have a problem with drinking um, only 10 percent would be classified as addicted, whereas the 90% um, would be classified as excessive um, or problem drinkers. And of that, um, in that study, they cited that 29%, um, I believe it was 29, 29% of drinkers, which is the same, 40% of, um, in David Sheff's book, it's 40%, 70% drink and 40%. Um, arcs, oh, but he's just a father. Drinking. I mean, he's not. Uh, uh, and actually, the reason why I brought you on wasn't for you to give me stats. You know what I mean? I think that there's probably stuff yeah, that yeah. we don't agree on. But I do think sure. that you're coming to the page, and I don't particularly care for him either because he's just an expert at being a father, and now he's like <laughs> an expert with all his stuff. And I'm like, yeah, well, <laughs> mm, you know what? He, I, I'd rather talk to a scientist about that. But what I do like about you, and so yeah. I'd rather focus on the stuff that I think that you are bringing to the table, which is good and that is fresh, is your point of view, um, When reading here, when saying, you know, you want to get rid of the use of the word alcoholic. And yeah, rather than absolutely. read, so I want to just suggest, um, rather than all my ex-anti-A people hate you, to go and, <laughs> listen, because there definitely are some, you know, differences here, but there are some similarities. And what I, I want to talk about that, because I, rather than me read it, right, so, why don't you go yeah. ahead and talk? And you could read if you want off of your site. She has a really great little uh, bit about getting rid of the word alcoholic. Tell us about this, how you feel about it. Absolutely. Um, so for me, like, I think one of the things that keeps most people from, I mean, for me, there's a lot of reasons why we need to get rid of um, stigmatizing labels. Um, mm-hmm. But for me, one of the biggest reasons is because, um, well, do you, I mean, do you want me to just go through my, my nine, there's nine reasons listed in that article. Do you want me to just go through them? Yeah, each? yeah, do it, do it. Uh-huh. Okay. So for me, I think it's probably, um, you know, I, and, and just to, you know, to be clear, I did absorb the label alcoholic um, and I did use AA for about a, probably a, like not very long, the first month that I stopped drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do feel it served me on some level. And I write that in this article, you know, for right. me, um, it was a, a, like saying it and using it was, um, it was a, it was a freedom almost to be able to like say, I have this issue, right. Instead of right. running from something for so long. And it made it, it made things clear for me. It allowed me to kind of step to the other side and move away from, um, you know, something that I had been holding on to. But, um, you know, where I've come to now, um, a couple years down the line, um, these nine reasons, so I wrote this blog post, and nine reasons that I don't identify as an alcoholic. And the first is that it asserts that it's normal to control, and, you know, what I was saying earlier, it, it asserts that it's normal to consume an addictive substance with ease, and it's abnormal to not be able to. And so for me, I think, as I was saying earlier, we live in a really drink-centric culture. And what we've done is instead of putting the burden on alcohol itself, you know, as an addictive substance, we tend to think that most people should be able to consume alcohol with no problem and that certain people are flawed, chemically flawed, and can't handle it. And so we put the burden on a, on a subset of people who have admitted right. that they can't drink um, and what that does is it leaves this very black and white culture where 
Um, you know, we have alcoholics and we have non-alcoholics, and we kind of miss the people that are in between and that are struggling on any level. And there's um, so many but, more. There's like so many people. There's like 350 million people in America, and there's only like uh, you know the A stats are like a million, you know, AA members in the United States and Canada. And then there's a, probably a, a whole group of people that actually do have issues that are not in that, no, never go there, right? So they really percentage, right. then there's like tons of Muslims and religious people that don't drink at all and think it's evil. Right. And right? right, I mean, there's a really, you know, a whole group of people in there that are forgotten. So I do, yeah, uh, yeah I, I think there's definitely a lot of people that are neglected. <laughs> so, Absolutely, absolutely. And then, you know, I kind of tie this back into, you know, um, more of the, like, it's it's normal to drink and it's abnormal to not be able to, you know, I tie it back into just saying that, you know, it is, it's a poison, it's an intoxicant, um, and it's, you know, not meant to be ingested with ease. Um, and also, I, I point to the fact that in the 50s, we had, you know, our doctors in cigarette ads, you know, our doctors in the 1950s were in camel ads saying that camel was their favorite. So for me, I do feel like, you know, at one point we accepted that as normal. And I think today we accept that it's just normal to be able to drink um, and that there's something wrong with you if you're not able to. And so right. um, well, that's the number one. A little bit is, you know, I think American culture is a little weird. If you go around the world, people drink daily in a really relaxed setting, very, very small amounts of wine. Um, they've proven mm-hmm. that red wine is good for you. And, yeah, the cigarette ad thing, I, I, I pulled that same ad and used it for, I think, one of my shows. <laughs> when I first found it, I was like, oh, my God, I, I look at this, how they're promoting <laughs> cigarettes. I do think that alcohol is different than that. I don't I don't agree with you that it's like a drug. I think that whole thing came with the war on drugs, that they wanted to stick alcohol and other drugs in one lump together so they could actually just, like, start, you know, saying and having to always say alcoholic addict you know, alcohol is a beverage, and we drank, we've been drinking it for hundreds and hundreds of years, and I don't think that it's so bad. Um, I think it's a great elixir, and I think that it's really good used moderately. Um, so we might differ on that. We can still continue to talk about it. But yeah, I don't no, 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 it, yeah, I don't, I don't like that kind of, because I lived in that world. Like when you say that we live in this culture, and it's like, you know, I don't really feel like that because I was – Sober, I can actually use that word now, for so long, I lived abstinent yeah. for like th- over three decades. And so I mm-hmm. found a world that, you know, it's, to me, I, it was very accepting. I didn't drink. I was like, no. And I didn't tell people, are you kidding, that I was an AA or that I was, I called myself an alcoholic in a meeting. I, for years I said, oh, no, I just don't drink. Oh, you know, I'd say, no, I just I don't want to have any right now. I'm cool. And right. I really pushed that label away from me when I was in a normal setting. So, and even if I worked around it, I don't know, like I, you know, you got into that world, you worked in a really, you know, fast pace, right? You were in very intense work, it sounded like for you, and you drank yep. like this. And so, um, I just love your transformation of your, your wording here. I, I like to say that I think you're a great writer. I hope that you write a book. You said you were going to write a book, right? Are you in the process yeah, of doing that? Yeah. Yeah. I'm in the yeah. process of writing a proposal. I do. Um, right. So, so I do. So, go yeah, ahead. Go. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Just to to counter that, you know, there was there's a couple of things. Um, you know, like there, I don't know if you've heard of. Um, I'm going to get his name wrong. David Nutter. He was the former uh, almost drug czar in, in in England. Did a study that showed you know alcohol ranked as one of the most dangerous drugs in the world. 
um, just for the amount of societal harm and the amount of personal harm combined above heroin, above crack, above other things. Um, you know, and I think one of the things, you know, that I do want to say about alcohol is that it, I, I believe it is more dangerous because it's a legal substance and because we look at it and think it's safe um, because it's so, you know, inextric- inextricably like entwined in, in, in our, the fabric of our society that mm-hmm. it is more dangerous um, than other drugs. And in America, you know, I mean, we don't use it responsibly on, on the level. And I come from, I do, I come from a different culture. And I also come from, you know, I, I've, I've been, you know, in an urban setting for a really long time. But I, you know, I see it as, I see it as, a, I mean, I, I don't know if it's outline or not, or if it's, you know, reflective of the whole or not. But to me, I, I do see it as, as um, you know, a, a terribly misused drug in in um, in America. Um, yeah, terribly misused a beverage. I mean, alcohol is a beverage. I guess we're really going to disagree on that. Yeah, I, I know. It, yeah, we are. Because I'm going to say that it's not a drug. That I, you know, for the most of my life, it wasn't called a drug. It was a beverage. That that to me is a whole brainwash campaign from Nixon to where drugs are in the late 1960s to the 70s, to again have all the steppers, Alcoholics Anonymous, and all its people. Along with, let me tell you this, there are people, like the guy you're talking about, the drugs are in London, yeah. England, you know, there are people, and Rockefeller was one of them, and his family was, they never drank, his father never drank, they came from Ohio, they believed that alcohol was evil, Holly. Like, are you one of those people? They they think it's evil, and that it's a bad, bad thing, you know, demon alcohol, no, and no. you know... Like, wow, no. but I'm saying that that came from a place of, you know, people who believe that. And you know what? You're allowed to believe that, but I don't believe that. And especially, I didn't believe that when I didn't drink when I was a stepper. You know, that alcohol was bad, that it's this, you know, you take, it It actually worked. When I was a kid, there was some alcohol in cough syrup, okay? I'm, I'm way older than you, right? I'm probably 20 years older than you are. Yeah. And the cough syrup worked back then. And now, right. if you were to buy a cough syrup, you know, and uh, it has, no, I don't know what it has, it's like crazy freaking chemicals in it, and it doesn't work. All sorts of crap. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. So, I mean, uh, but, but but go ahead. I want you to k- no, keep I'm going. Because... I know. I'll keep going with this. I'll keep going with this. The last kind of point is I'm not, I'm not a crazy person that thinks, like, you know, uh, that alcohol is, is, is evil. I, I'm somebody that believes that we should all be able to live in a natural state and not have to rely on mind-altering substances in order to escape. Um, and I just, like, for me, it comes from working in the healthcare industry and seeing, you know, how many people are anxiety-ridden, are stress-ridden, are depressed, and how many people end up reaching to alcohol to self-medicate. And I also mm-hmm. come from, you know, an industry where one in, like, it's, you know, one in one in ten people, eighteen to sixty-four, die from excessive drinking, and where, you know, it's uh, the fourth leading cause of preventable death, and where two-thirds of domestic violences or uh, cases are caused from drinking, and where, you know, half of our drunk driving deaths are caused by it, and or a third of our drunk uh, driving, or I'm sorry, a third of uh, vehicle deaths are caused by drunk driving, and so for me. I, it, it is not so much like alcohol is just a terrible, terrible thing. It's more of, um, I think, it's the legal factor. It's, it's a whole bunch of stuff, but it's, it's also the stats. And it's also seeing, you know, kind of what it does to our society. And also, you know, living in a culture like San Francisco is very shrink-centric. And so living in a culture like this and seeing what it does to 
my peers, um, what it does to, you know, my coworkers, what it does to, it's just, it's too obvious for me to say that it's safe. I just, I don't think it's safe. Well, what I think about it you, might be so, safe in Italy. <laughs> well, I, no, I think it's really safe here, but we have been hijacked by Alcoholics Anonymous into black and white thinking for the last 70 years. I mean, they didn't influence us for a good 25 years. So let's say, like, they influenced our whole culture and have hijacked yeah. it for 50 years. So America didn't binge drink. If you, you know, I think we we found each other because of Gabrielle Glaser's page or something yeah. you wrote in yeah. right and I in her book, Her Best Kept Secret. Um, on you know through her research, found out that you know she and I were talking that Americans were not binge drinkers until prohibition. So we forced people yeah. you can't drink, and then people were sh- doing shots. People had yeah. to hide it. People had to sneak it. People had to slam it, yeah. and then that became a part of American culture. And, and I thought that yeah. was very very interesting, right? I didn't know that know. either. Why we were different. And then we had the drug czars and the people like Nixon, and I didn't know about even Rockefeller until I did the research for the film that he was this actual teetotaler he didn't drink at all yeah and um yeah. but the thing that i think is interesting that i liked what i read on your blog is that this is the part that there's a real problem so the fact that you had insurance and you you came to a place you're almost like a pilot like so you're a professional right like a pilot goes oh you know i'm kind of stressed out and i'm drinking like old too much and i'd really like to get some help and guess where he gets sent outside of the healthcare system <laughs> he gets sent down into 12-step rabbit hole that would make your freaking head spin, right? And that yep, doesn't help yep. the guys at all. It's a, it's like worse no. than a cult, right? No. So you too, like I'm surprised there was no, tw- uh, you know, non-12-step rehab. Like here, you can go to so many rehabs and Blue Cross Blue Shield at least last year was paying for dollars a day for a piece of shit rehab that all it was was AA. <laughs> right? So they're all, yeah, 90% have, of them. Yeah. So right, yours, right, so the fact that you, your insurance really couldn't get you really good, you know, mental health, CBT, or all, you know, there are programs. There's not a lot of them, right? There's alternatives here in Los Angeles. There's a small amount, absolutely. Right? There's a small amount of recovery. Like, where is there a place where you could have, like, smart, you know, kind of the same kind of thing and craft and, like what you said, this man guy where, you know, where you could go for a week or, you know, or maybe (laughs) outpatient, right? Actually, outpatient would be more perfect for somebody like you. And that yeah. your insurance doesn't, that's mental health, is it, it's behavior, it's mental health, and yeah. it's, it's controlled, whether you know this now, as you go down this, I did not know this three years ago. I didn't know it two years ago. Yeah. Even a year, okay. Yeah. That AA as, is in control of it all. They are everywhere. They, are, they have hijacked even our mental health. I could go to UCLA, you would think one of the, the best places, and it is, 80% steppers in there with their bullshit belief from 1935. Yeah. That's, that's uh. what's wrong with the system. It's what's wrong with health care. It's what's wrong with mental health. And, you know, I would if somebody told me this three years ago, I would have said, no way. Well, if you get put well, into the... Well, it's carved out. I mean, it's carved out. You know, we, like, in healthcare, we carve up the patient. You know, you, you, you're looking at the physical patient. That's it. And, you, ch- you know, like, they specialize... They, you know, they don't even look at the entire human. They part them out to specialists. And so it's, you know, first of all, it's, you know, addiction is, it's way beyond, you know, it's way beyond just the, you know, the physicality of it. The, you know, the things that actually brought me back to life were actually, you know, reducing my stress, reducing my anxiety, working with trauma, working, um, 
with um, like sleeping, you know, doing, you know, things that I hadn't been doing as a human being that makes a human being a human being, um, you know. And so I think like one of the biggest problems with it is that we don't, you know, healthcare just, it, it's been left out, like our primary care providers or, our, you know, uh, healthcare providers, they're not trained in addiction medicine for the first place. They themselves go to 12 meetings. I think that's the extent of training um, in most of our medical schools. But um, it's that there's also this parting out, you know, of, of slicing and dicing humans up and just, and, and just treating, um, you know, one illness instead of treating, you know, truly the underlying factor. And, and I think, you know, for addiction, um, through my research, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not just about addiction. It's, it's the things that drive us to need to escape in the first place. And then it right, absolutely. Um, so I am talking, um, I want to just tell everybody who I'm talking with so people just kind of uh, clicked in. So I'm talking to Holly Whitaker, and she has a page called Hip Sobriety, H-I-P, Sobriety. And you do sessions with people. Yeah? You want to talk about... Uh, uh, Sure, absolutely. People can work with you and uh, to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So I do, I offer services as a coach just mainly to help kind of point people in the right direction to figuring out their own road. Um, For me in the beginning, um, I was, you know, doing most of the stuff on the Internet, um, you know, and hit the streets. I read a ton of books. And the thing that I wanted the most when I started out in my own recovery was just um, having somebody that had been through it. Um, and again, like I had said at the beginning, I didn't use AA. Um, and so I have created, you know, Hipster Bride is mainly a blog where I just try and bring the tools and resources that I use and a different perspective to it and right. also a positive perspective because for me this has been a beautiful life transformation. And I think a lot of people equate sobriety with consequence. And for me, I know mm-hmm. it's not been a consequence. It's been a really beautiful existence that's only gotten brighter. And so, um, you know, I my goal is to put information out to really encourage people to, you know, be able to look at their own struggles with addictive substances um, and do it, you know, in, in a like in kind of a, a way that is or um, we remove the fear, we remove the barriers, we make it accessible and, and, and desirable. Um, and so I do work as a coach, but I'm primarily um, working on creating programs and workshops. I'm a yoga instructor and a meditation instructor, um, mm-hmm. and also um, working on putting a book out that, um, you know, my demographic is really myself. You know, it's, it's yeah. high functioning. It's the, um, you know, we haven't lost everything. It's the um, AA does not appeal to us. Um, it right. is the... Um, I, you know, want to keep everything going and be able to navigate this. And, I, you know, just point me in the right direction and, and I'll figure out, I'll do the work. And so, um, so yeah, that's what, that's what my website is about. And I, I do, I do, I do um, coaching with individuals as well. Mm-hmm. I really, you know, like that. I think it's so important. We talk about, you know, what are the options, you know, people as we, uh, the the ex steppers or the anti those of us who were in it a long time and leave and those who are in it a short time but it's kind of like there are these six free, free options that I even well I don't think I promote all of them in the end of the film but I educate you know people that they exist but many of us feel that there's still room for more you know that there really Absolutely. is a place for more things and I I think that definitely what you're you created and what you have is needed. I do. I do think mm-hmm. that not everybody wants to go to any meetings, you know, Holly. They yeah. just don't want to do it. But yet they yeah. would like 
some kind of a sense of community for people who do want to be abstinent. Uh, I think that for some people it's a really good thing. You know, it doesn't hurt anybody yeah. to be abstinent for a while. You know, whether it's yeah. 30 days. No, I think it gives us a lot of clarity. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah, yeah. Um, now you have I a thing. Agree. Yeah, so uh, what clarity sessions, is that what you would say? Like, Can you describe mm-hmm. maybe what your approach is as well? Sure. Well, I just I send a questionnaire out. I mean, I've been, you know, pri- I've been through two yoga trainings, meditation trainings at this point. And so for me, I work primarily from a sense of just um understanding what's blocking people from um like on their path. And so I send out a questionnaire and I get, you know, I I primarily work with women. Um I do work with some men, but the idea is just to kind of get a sense of where they're at, what they're trying to achieve and what's blocking them. You know, for most people, um, it's a deep amount of fear, right? And it's just not knowing where to begin. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, I um, I personally did not stop drinking um, while I began my recovery. Um, I, I, As I said, I, I used Alan Carr's method. I stopped drinking for two months and ended up drinking again because I wasn't addressing all the things that had caused me to drink in the first place. Right. So I've never heard method. about his book. I guess I would have to oh, get another so book good. now. Oh, good. <laughs> really? Another, yeah, it's not, not the end all and be all. No, it's not the end all right. and be all. But he just he you know he paints a really you know he he basically says he he talks you out of wanting to drink. You know yeah. he you know basically says like AA we use a willpower and AA they use a willpower method and um, you know his method is is more logic-based, more um, bringing the reader to the conclusion that they don't want to drink. Um, and so it it was, you know, for me, it turned me off of drinking immediately. It made me, um, which was strange. I mean, I drank for 20-something years at that point, but it just, it, something clicked in, in understanding it. I I didn't want to, I didn't want to drink anymore. Um, and well. I stopped immediately, but I I didn't um, really get to the stuff that was causing me to drink in the first place. And so I started drinking again, and then I, you know, basically started working on all the things that were driving me to, which was escapism. You know, I I was highly stressed, terrified of a lot of things that I wasn't really facing my fears. I um, was terribly unhealthy. Um, I didn't have, you know, a meditation practice that helped me me extremely. Um, And I I started doing all these things to kind of... um, help bring myself um, to a stronger point and then came to a decision again in April 2013 to stop drinking. And so the way I work with my my clients is the same, which is just kind of getting down to, it's not really, you know, the things that drive addiction are not necessarily addiction until it becomes addiction. You know, the things that drive us to escape are a whole host of things. And so I work with them on the thing that's getting to them the most, you know, the thing that's preventing them from moving forward in their life. So it might be something along the lines of coming up with just changing the language that they use, changing the negative loop, um, helping them come up with a, you know, a better way to um, think positively or a better way to talk to themselves um, or coming up with a specific meditation or a specific yoga practice, um, helping them work on specific relationship issues, um, you know, or really just kind of getting down to the thing that, that's holding them back and keeping them stuck the most or the thing that they're running from the most. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also work with clients that have stopped drinking, and that's just to um, – I work with them in a way to just help um, – you know, it's confusing when you start – when you stop drinking, you know. there's It's a whole new world, right, because you've spent most of your life, um, you know, on one side of the bar, and then here you are. And, you know, if your social life revolved around drinking, if your dating life revolved around drinking, if your friendships, you know, were – 
um, you know, built on drinking, if you don't know how to talk to your family, if you're, you know, in relationship crisis with your family or, you know, a whole host of things. So I work with people at just a real practical level of, like, how do I tell my friends? Um, you know, how do I, you know, get through Thanksgiving? How do I, um, you know, like, deal with this specific problem at work? How do I explain this to my coworkers? Um, you know, so a whole bunch of different stuff. <laughs> but I think you might be really cool when you say, like, oh, you know, I stopped, and, oh, you're, you know, are you an AA, or, oh, you're an alcoholic, and then you say. No, I just don't drink. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'm funny. really honest with people. I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly honest with everyone and explain I had a problem with it, you know. And then a lot of people also ask me if I would drink, you know, you know where I'm at now, if I would drink again. Um, and the answer is always no, never, I would never drink again. It just doesn't interest me. Like this side of it is, is way too wonderful to ever drink again. Um, you know, the, the cost, the time, the calories, the health, you know, the many, many things that alcohol takes from us. Um, you know, it's, uh, I've found sobriety is, is a preferable way to live. Well, we, we talked about how I just, you know, had such a, a stuck on that word sobriety, um, mm-hmm. How I hate the word uh, sober. There's certain uh, words that I've, I I have trauma, been traumatized, Holly, from Alcoholics Anonymous, and I uh, okay. have find myself um, though the last couple of weeks being able to use the word and it not feeling hijacked by them. You know that they don't own that yeah. word. And um, it's only yeah. been really recently that I, you know, in fact, when you were saying it, it didn't bother me. Like, at first, when we talked on the phone, I was like, whoa, wait a second. No, 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 no. <laughs> like, but I do think that it, it does, it will help if there's a group of people that aren't on their plate that say, no, you don't own this. You know, you don't own this word. And I yeah. think there are other words that, like the word alcoholic, that, you know, look, there really yeah. might be alcohol-dependent person, but they are such a small group of people even they've done studies that just came out that I was reading about that well, there's a lot of people that drink heavier a lot, and they are not even dependent. You know, I mean, you have to really be slamming it to be the old school, uh, that word alcoholic, which I, I, I don't like. But I think that I find, yeah. you know, um, that talking to you, that I th- you will really help, depending on how far you go with this, to to change that. And I think it's really important it's really important. Like I, I say, drug and alcohol overuse issues. I say, how long has it been problematic? I don't use. You know what I mean? And it's become easier. Yeah. Feels so much saner. It has less of a charge to it to not use their yeah. words. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah I really, absolutely. I really, yeah, I really like um, you know a lot of your approaches here. So again. I'm talking to um, Holly Whitaker, and she's up in San Francisco, and her page is Hip Sobriety, a modern place to explore the sober you. And, and for those of you who are ex-steppers who hate those words and are out there listening in Vlog Talk Radio Land, then <laughs> just know that she's not in AA. <laughs> and she tried it <laughs> and didn't like it if you just are stepping into the show now and that she has this new approach. What I also think is interesting, for a lot of women I hear, uh, was not an issue for me, was you said you had more than a drinking problems. You had an eating disorder or two, yeah, correct? Yeah, a lot. And, so you, and yeah. also, and I'd like you to address that, but also just a point with, you talked about get, uh, working on it before you actually stopped drinking, so you were meeting yourself where you were. You know yeah, what I mean? like absolutely. You weren't, 
forcing yourself to, oh, you have to be this way to do any work on yourself. You were working on yourself or whatever you, yeah. you were calling. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I knew, you know, for me, I knew that I wanted the end game was to not drink, you know, and I knew the end game was to be free of all these things. You know, for me, these things were holding me back, right? It wasn't right. so much that, you know, like, I I just so desperately, you know, wanted a life without alcohol. No, I so desperately wanted a life that wasn't controlled by anything. You know, I wanted to, you know, yes. be free of this need to do anything to make myself feel better um, and be free of these fears of, you know, like, you know, am I this, am I that, you know, am I sick, am I, you know, am I going to be forever, you know, stuck, you know, um, coming home from work and needing a glass of wine? Am I going to be, you know, like, for me, it was just this, like, desire to be free. And so I, you know, I started, I started, I did a ton of work on myself before I approached not drinking. And I did that. And, and the funny thing is, I, you know, I got shit for it, you know, um, because I was I was doing a lot of this stuff. I did all of it on my own. You know, I did, I had, you know, I had coaches and doctors and I had spiritual teachers and all sorts of stuff. But I, for the most part, you know, I did this, you know, on my own. And so I, from the outside, you know, I'd be out and I'd have a a drink or two. And I remember getting an email from somebody and just saying, like, you know, I'm so worried about you. You've done it again. You're off it again, you know, and trying to explain, well, no, I'm doing, you know, like I, I come home every night, I meditate and I do yoga and I'm doing this fear cleanse and I have, you know, started to incorporate joy practices in my life. You know, I did like, I did, I did, you know, hundreds upon hundreds of different things, you know, to to really um, bring myself back to life. So, you know, I wouldn't need to feel so empty that I'd have to fill it with something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I got to the point where I felt strong enough, um, you know, and also where I'd had enough, I mean, it just wasn't working for me anymore. You know, just like being like, uh, once I had stopped drinking for a couple months, like you yeah. said, you know, it's good for people to try abstinent periods. Mm-hmm. Um. I liked it, you know, I really did. And when I started drinking again, I just, I didn't like it. You know, I did not like, it It just, things became apparent that weren't so clear before. And so, um, yeah. Well, you drank for 20 years. It's not a short time. 20 years is a long time. You know what I mean? Like I drank for six, you know, I drank for six and stopped. You know what I mean? Like you, I think 20 years is a long time. Um, And I think that you drank, uh, you know, in in adult settings, you drank in social settings. I missed that whole part of life. We, you know, we come from yeah. different aspects, and that you know, there are many years, uh, all the years that I didn't drink, I didn't want to drink. I loved being so. Yeah. I loved being abstinent. I loved the clarity. Yeah. I loved. I loved it until I didn't love it anymore. You know what I mean? And I did yeah. then yeah. a ton of. You know, when I when I when I say that, I don't think that comes across right because I think it's really important that I did not want to drink a drop till I drank a drop which was 37 years later. You know what I mean? And all I wanted yeah. was a sip. And that's all I yeah. had. You know, and it was yeah. a very natural process, and I don't like to drink a lot. And um, yeah. I don't want any more than that little, you know what I mean? I really am a yeah. natural of what it became. But, like you, did a shitload of work on myself, from real psychological right. to rage work to therapy to uh, lots of spiritual work, lots of... Uh, I, I have really good some practices. I mean, I still, you know, I'm human. I still, you know, I, I, whatever. But <laughs> well, we're always working on ourselves, right? I mean, there's it's never it never ends, you know. I mean, like we progress and we get stronger. There's always, you know, a little bit of work to do. But right, but you get yourself to a point where you're you're not needing to numb out, you know, right. where you can be with yourself and you can be uncomfortable and ride that. <laughs> Um, and be okay. 
That's right, right. That sounds like you. Uh, there's some interesting stuff. I'm looking on the site here. The the different yoga practices that you would want to talk about. Maybe some things that. Um, oh, here it is. Okay, so you did EFT, emotional freedom technique, mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just talk, maybe get specific. Would you mind sharing like a, one of your techniques that uh, was really powerful that might resonate with some listeners that we have? Yeah, well, I mean, for me, there there's three things I think that are real, um, like the pinnacle of it. Um, the, the first is um, just uh, having a spiritual practice, and that's anything. You know, I mean, like literally having a place to come to. And um, I did I did a lot of guided meditations, and I did a lot of um, vinyasa yoga. But I found something called kundalini yoga um, during all of this. And are you familiar with Tommy Rosen's work at all? You know, he has... Recovery 2.0. I think so. Yeah, I think. Oh, yeah, I wanted to interview him, and he turned me down. He said, I, you know, he didn't want to be. He <laughs> <laughs> was afraid of coming, getting interviewed for my film. He felt like I was, you know. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, attacking AA too much. And I was like, yeah, well, okay. But go ahead. Tell me about yeah. it. Tell me if you have fun. Yeah, so Kundalini Yoga, it's just it's a specific type of yoga that um, came to the U.S. in the 60s. Um, you know, it's tied in with Sikhism. Um, so it's, um, it's, it's tied in with the with the religion, um, but it's you know it's a very powerful um, specific type of yoga that involves um, a lot of breath work. Um, you use your you you use your fingers in a lot of um, in a lot of it's mostly meditative, and you use breath and you use you know your fingers. You do different hand positions. Um, you do a lot of chanting, um, and you do you know a lot of meditation. And essentially mm-hmm. what it what it does is it um it uh a couple of doctors who have who are who are kundalinis have, have since written books on it. One of them is called um medical meditation. Mm-hmm. Um but what it does is it repatterns your brain. I mean you literally by doing all of this this like for you learn to control your breath, which is huge in being able to control your emotions and being able to, you know, um change your alter your state naturally. Um, but you also mm-hmm. do a lot of work where you are flicking your tongue up against the palate of your mouth, which is um, home to uh, 72 different meridians. Um, and so you're you're essentially like uh, the same idea as acupuncture that works on the energy meridian. You're, you know, through the chanting, you're flicking your tongue up against the top of your mouth to specific words. Um, and then you're also, you know, using your fingers in different, um, they call them mudras, but you're putting your fingers in different positions and sometimes tapping on your fingers, sometimes holding them together in different positions. And the idea is, you know, your fingers are, are, are tied to a very large part of your brain. And so by doing this work and incorporating it with the meditation practice, with the breath work, um, you're repatterning your brain. You're allowing for new neural pathways um, to become. And um, that in itself helps you know, shift you from whatever state you're in when you're in a dedicated state or whatever, you know, led you to, um, you know, need to go outside of yourself. And it, it starts to fix your brain. It starts to change you. And so for me, this meant was, you know, when I, when I, and I, you know, at the beginning of this, I was highly reactive, highly stressed. I had no control over my mind. Um, I, you know, was, I was, you know, every, I was a victim to my mind, you know, a, a constant thought in flow, um, you know, mm-hmm. constant negative thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, um, you know, this, like just the, the meditation, you know, for me, this, it became a very, it was a very effective, the Kundalini meditation specifically was a very effective way to get control over my reactiveness, 
to get control over my monkey mind, to get control over, um, you know, my um, my negativity, um, to get control over all these things that, you know, kind of push me into these states to needing to escape. Um, and so that's, I mean, that's, you know, kundalini yoga. And it's, it's also very, um, they, they have a lot of meditations that are for specific things that work on, you know, it works directly on your nervous system, works directly on your glandular system. And so, um, there's specific meditations that are for, like, say, um, balancing your negative and positive mind or ones that are specific for lowering your heart rate or ones that are specific for um, repairing your nervous system or ones that are specific. There's even one that's specific for breaking addiction. Um, and so the it's it's almost like, um, I mean, these the, the meditations I found through Kundalini were almost just like little, um, like little prescriptions, you know, little, um, little yeah. things that I did that got me to a desired outcome. Interesting. I mean, I have only, you know, visions of, you know, what I remember of the Kundalini yoga back in the seventies. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, but I, I Weird. certainly transcendental meditation is the most recent one that I learned, maybe. Yeah. And very, very, uh, but I've been meditating since, you know, I was 18 and tried many, many kinds, but never, did not learn, you know, kundalini. But I think that uh, what I do believe and feel is that, I mean, they have proven, they have done massive studies to see uh, how even, you know, where it's completely non-religious based, you know, that meditation Mm -hmm. keeps the frontal cortex, a part of the brain, soft and keeps away old age. Like it does change. It keeps that brain, the softens of the front part of the brain. And But I think that there's a lot to what you're saying, the way you described your mind, um, with many people who I hear talk that get put on medication for ADD, um, and I am all yeah. for, I mean, I'm not, you know what I'm saying, if people need medication, I think that's the one big fault with AA, and it's very important for people to, to do what they need to do uh, as far as take any kind of medication. Uh, but yeah. what you're saying is that this helped you with that kind of mind, you know, the brain talking the, the way you just exactly described it. I think that I have a lot of listeners, though, that are not, um, there's actually a lot of atheists and uh, people who don't believe in God and are not interested in what Tommy Rosen has to offer, um, that they yeah. need and they the only kind of meditation that they're by interested in would be, you know, breath work and um yeah, I think we do do have energy centers. I don't know how somebody would feel about that. I don't know if I have any listeners out there now who are complete atheists if you if you talk to them in a certain language that you really turn them off. You know what I mean? And they start saying, Oh, it's a new age shit and oh it's the religious spiritual religious shit and so there's this whole group of people. I think you are, there's a certain, you know, sort of a niche that you're finding. Um, but I also think that people who don't believe at all, they, they deserve, they're, they also too are still seeking for something that is still those six other free options, you know, which is smart recovery and SOS mm-hmm. and moderation management. Yeah. And that there, there, there's another whole demographic too that's ignored. And that's why I have you on this show, that even having you on my show, that even though we may not agree on everything, that you, somebody who's listening, could be helped by what you're saying. They're on a similar, you know, kind of wavelength already. They didn't like AA. They want abstinence. And yet, so I think it's it's a good thing. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. So again, I, I want to just tell everybody who I'm talking to. So I'm talking to Holly Whitaker. She's a writer, a speaker, a blogger. She has a website called Hip Sobriety, and she is a coach. If you go there, you can see her her writing, which is a great sense of humor. I really, oh, it's funny. I had not read it, and um, you know, just really <laughs> liked how you were writing and. Uh, the way that you talked about, she talking about not liking the word um, alcoholic. If you're just tuning in, um, we have how much time do we have left? And I want to give you some time to. We have about seven minutes left. What what would you like to talk about for this last seven minutes with what you've learned and what you want to do with the future? I think like yeah, I think the most important thing. You know, when I when I started out on this, the thing that was the biggest gaping hole was it didn't have to get that bad for me. You know, like. Uh, I, you know, for so long in my life, the worst thing that, you know, that the 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 scariest thing for me was was giving up was giving up alcohol was the thought of you know being on the other side of something um, and the thought of of living a life that was that was different right and different than what I had be, what I had come uh, become accustomed to and I spent so long. Um, you know, I think in fear over whether or not I was an alcoholic or whether or not you know I was. I was, you know, I, you know, I guess I spent so long in fear over whether or not um, I had a problem um, that, and and so terrified of what it meant to be on the other side of that problem because it had been painted as such a, a scary place that I didn't spend time looking at the fact that I was slowly becoming addicted, right? You know, I mean, way before, I mean, for me, I was, I was, I was acutely addicted at the end. Um, I, I had drug-seeking behavior, and you know, I, I definitely, you know, was chronically addicted. Um, but I wasn't always that way, and I was in fear of it far before that, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. years before that. Um, and so for me, I think the most important, you know, the biggest, the thing that I that I care about the most is opening this up outside of people that have just, that just can't handle it anymore. You know, most of our modalities are for people who are addicted, you know, it's, it's, it's Alcoholics Anonymous, it's, you know, rehab, it's recovery. But, you know, the, the demographic that we miss the most are the people that are on their way to right. those things. You know, we wait until it's a full-blown problem. We don't really offer up any sort of resources for people to be mm-hmm. able to look at it before it becomes addiction. And so, right. I, right, right, you right. know, I think it's something that has to, it's a huge, you know, I mean, that's one of the biggest reasons I want to remove, the, you know, the label alcoholic because it keeps us from all, you know, it keeps us focused on a label and it keeps us from looking at our own relationship with addiction. Um, and so, you know, I mean, I don't know how much, you know, we have, how much we can get into it with the time we have left, but I think, like, the thing that I just wanted to point out is that one of the biggest things that I hope to achieve is bringing this to everyone, you know, like, not only, you know, people that, you know, have identified as, you know, having a, you know, a problem, people that are worried about going down that path and really empowering people around their relationship with alcohol, you know, and really Mm -hmm. giving them, like, the space to be able to explore it without having to absorb a label, without being, you know, terrified that they have an incurable disease, without, you know, all these things that, you know, all this baggage that comes along with it. So. Right, right. And I do think that one way, you know, a great way is a book. And um, a book then, you know, I just thought, is that you standing on your hands? That's Pro- yeah. yoga? Yes. Oh, wow, you really <laughs> are a yoga. Are you a, you're a teacher, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Oh, my God. That's amazing. You guys should check this out. She's really, she's got a serious uh, yoga position. Well, do you find that there are a lot of people that are in yoga that 
are natural non-drinkers, or is the yoga world just the yoga and then they go and they party too? <laughs> I think it's all it's it's all of it. You know, there are people like I mean, I I did yoga for years before I stopped drinking. I didn't have a real you know spiritual practice of yoga. Right. But um, I, you know, I was part of the crew that, you know, used yoga for a workout and then, you know, would go out and, and you know, drink afterwards. But I, I do think a lot of people find themselves in yoga. It's like most people that I'm very close with that are very, very into it, the way that I'm into it now, you know, which is like a life practice. Um, you find that there, you know, I recently wrote an article that's called You, you Can Yoga Your Way Out of How, you know, Effed Up You Are. And I, you know, one of my teachers, Stephanie Snyder, um, of San Francisco, she has a TEDx talk, you know, and she, she found yoga, um, she found yoga after she tried to commit suicide, you know, and, um, that's in her TEDx talk, you know, she, and, and there's, there's many people that have come through and it doesn't necessarily have to be addiction, but, you know, a lot of people, a lot of, um, a lot of hurt people find their way to yoga for healing and, so I I do you know my community in, in the yoga community now is, is is somewhat of a sober community you know um, but I don't think yoga I mean it does promote it you know most you know Kundalini's don't drink but I think it's it's kind of a toss up I mean people find their way to yoga and they still party and people find their way to yoga to escape from partying <laughs> yeah I think so I mean to me it's <laughs> complete. Uh, be like a pure uh, natural relaxation uh, I get incredibly high. I kind of stopped doing a yoga practice, so I, I was going to take a class, and I meditate here in my house, but the, when I went to that yoga class, I was transformed, always. Like, I would, yeah. when I sat up, and a uh, really beautiful woman in uh, Culver City who teaches at the Y there and been practicing yoga for 30 years, and she, you know, it was just, um, you know, to me, even though I like to have a glass of wine, you know, and um, that uh, those particular things, a great massage and a great uh, y- yoga is, you know, it's just a great natural high. You know, whatever I feel, that's yeah. the word um, after it. It's uh, pretty, pretty beautiful when um, you, I think you're working with somebody who has great energy, a teacher yeah. like that, you know I mean? Uh, but I think uh, it was really, really wonderful talking to you. Um, maybe we can oh, have you so on nice. again. Down, you know, through as you, yeah. When you finish your book, you can contact me, or you make some kind of inroads, or maybe I'll call you back that we can talk about some of the other things more in detail. Uh, because yeah. Uh, yeah, I just think there's people who suffer from anxiety. Um, of course, alcohol is not good for that at all. You know, I mean, it's the really great <laughs> books that I've read about moderation, or you know, that there's things that don't ever drink when you're upset. Like there's just some really good healthy rules which I kind of live yeah. by, but people who, you know what I mean? It's just other, lots of other people need, I think, other uh, this other good stuff out there, which see, you seem to find, and I think it's yeah. fantastic. Uh, so, again, today we were talking with Holly Whitaker. Go to her um, Hip Sobriety page. Thank you so much for being on the show, Thank Holly. Thank you, Monica. It's You're been lovely. Welcome. Thank you so much. You're welcome, <laughs> and uh, we'll thank you again, and we'll see everybody next week. I'm getting more people, Wonderful. and uh, again, I'm Monica Richardson for Blog Talk Radio, Safe Recovery. We'll see you all next week. Bye, Holly. I'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye, thank Monica. you so much again. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. You're welcome. Bye-bye.